Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 40. I have again been speaking to three personalities from the world of Scottish business about the impact that the COVID-19 crisis has had on their business, how they're managing their way through it, and what they've learned from their experiences so far. It's another great lineup. In the last episode, we visited China, Thailand, and London, but all three interviewees this time are based in Edinburgh. First, we speak to Alistair McKinnon, CEO of the Scottish Investment Trust, who's always a very thoughtful interviewee, and he explains how he's running the trust at a time when investment values are tumbling. We then speak to Ellen Wong, Principal Officer for the US Consulate in Edinburgh, about her take on US and Scottish business links in these extraordinary times. And she also offers some very sound personal advice on getting through these days. We then turn to Adam Hunter, Chief Commercial Officer of Flow, an online pharmaceutical delivery service which was launched last year with what seems like extraordinary foresight. The Flow team are providing a valuable service and are also one of those rare businesses that is having to manage growth as a result of the crisis. And Adam provides a really interesting explanation of how the business came about and is developing. So stay tuned to the end. Hi, Alistair. How are you doing? Fraser, great to hear from you. Hello. Excellent. Alistair, I'd like to start by asking you um, how the crisis has impacted on the Scottish Investment Trust so far in terms of the business uh, and how you're managing it and how you're all working together in these strange times. Yes, well, I suppose there's two aspects to consider. There's one practical, you know, how do you run a company in these very unusual times? And then there's what does the business do? And uh, just to deal with the practicalities of it, I mean, obviously, first of all, it's a terrible thing that's hit the whole world. Um, I suppose in a funny way, doing what we do as investors uh, and we look globally, we did have actually perhaps have a little bit more uh, advance warning than some people because we could see what was happening in China. Uh, I had a conference cancelled in Japan in January or it was was put in doubt in January. And we started to make the preparations to say, well, if that comes westward, uh, so to speak, around the world, what would we do? So we were fortunate in that we had a sort of disaster recovery plan that that allowed us all to work at home. Uh, We were able to put that in place relatively simply. And in in effect, we've been able to all work from home and actually communicate in a a very effective way um, in a very straightforward manner. It basically took, you know, possibly an afternoon's work to to get everything set up. Um, In terms of the business, now, obviously, we are, um, uh, people invest, everyone invests really to to make money. And you don't need me to tell you, because I'm sure it's been very high profile events that stock markets have been uh, hit by uh, the economic disruption caused by the virus. Uh, I suppose, though, again, perhaps because we've got this global perspective, we, because, again, we saw what was happening in China and then Japan, we just took a very gloomy view of the world in a quite a timely manner. Uh, and it it didn't stop us losing money, but it allowed us to usefully preserve capital, which is really all you can do uh, in when you invest in equities, as we do, uh, with the aim to keeping firepower. and. 
so I mean, so basically, right at the end of January, beginning of February, really, we just said, well, hang on, if we shut down the Western world economies in the similar way to China, what does that mean for various businesses? And to be honest with you, it wasn't. You suddenly realised how exposed many businesses were, and we basically sold uh, everything we thought was exposed to a shutdown, and um, it didn't stop. You know, asset value still fell generally, so it didn't stop us. You know, we were affected by that, but it did mean we have, um, as things stand, more firepower. Because one thing we do know with this event is eventually we'll come through the other side, and it could be obviously be a while. Uh, but there will be, from an investment, purely investment perspective, there will be tremendous opportunities. Particularly, I don't know how closely you'll follow this, but the efforts by the various central banks have been extraordinary in the last couple of weeks. Uh, this creates a huge stimulus when we get through this. We've got to get through this first, of course. Though. Any sort of lessons that you've learned from the experiences to date on a, on a business or indeed a, a personal level? Um, I think, you know, it maybe sounds a little bit philosophical, but I think it has made me realise uh, it's made me think more about lots of things, I suppose, in terms of lessons learned. It's made me realize a bit more that maybe the way people always look at the way things have been done in the past and wonder why it happened. And now I look back and say, well, uh, actually, you can see why people uh, behaved the way they did. You can see why people were scared of um, illnesses and so on and how it would make them act in certain ways. It, it's... And I suppose it makes, and I'm sure a lot of people are going through the same thought process, it makes you wonder whether people will want to be confined in small spaces again going forward. Because obviously it was a relatively modern way of working. Uh, by, by that, I mean the, since, probably since the Industrial Revolution. And it does make you wonder if, it just makes you wonder about many, many things. Now, Alistair, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's always impossible to predict the future, and particularly in these circumstances but do you have any thoughts about uh, how how you you and the business are approaching the future some of the some of the thought process the processes that you're going through well as you say it's always well it's impossible to predict the future but i think um what we try and do as investors is to some extent uh we are trying to make an informed view about what the future might hold and uh position uh, our uh, investments accordingly. Um, I think, so, so I think the first thing is we're still in the midst of this terrible health emergency, really. Um, I, I think it's clear that yeah, the authorities are still slightly, um, are still slightly in the dark as to what, how they will manage us out of this. And that, to be honest with you, is understandable because I think it, it's an event that people haven't faced for certainly in living memory and possibly even, you know, we're talking generations ago when we last mm. had a similar event. Um, but I, as mentioned, I think we will get through this. The, you know, human beings are very good at managing with all sorts of difficult situations. Uh, what does this mean? I think for the trust just now as a, an investment business, I think the key point just now is to preserve as much capital as possible for the opportunities that will be there 
when we get to the other side. Um, I think some of the measures we've seen from the central banks in the last month or so have been, uh, I think I've already used the word extraordinary, but they're just, they're not even extraordinary, they're just incredible. They actually mm. challenge every notion you've ever had about how an economy should work. And um, to, to the point, I think they even go back to, you know, some of the stuff that uh, Karl Marx wrote, you know, you, you, which I know sounds very okay. extraordinary, but it, it's almost the, the very basis of how our economy was thought to work has been questioned in the last mm. um, few weeks. And what we've done is really flooded the economy with money and in this country and in America. And I think the question will be is, uh, are we, we've probably created a, a world of inflation, of asset prices going up. And we've probably, because of the bottlenecks that were exposed by the pandemic, we're probably going to start bringing back each country is probably going to start looking after its own a bit more. The um, right. outsourcing model works very well when times are good. Uh, and it's obviously much more efficient, but it doesn't work when you need particular items of kit mm. quickly. You, there's two things you need. You need the industrial base and the knowledge to build them, but you also need the, the capability to build them uh, or to manufacture them. And I think there's been a number of things exposed that have will make people question. The whole just-in-time delivery thing as well uh, mm. has to be questioned as well. Um, and I think there'll be wider questions as well for the whole of society. Uh, for example, we saw in the stockpiling craze, um, which again was rational to a degree. I know it was criticised, and obviously rightly so, but on the other hand, it's what people will do when they're worried about. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think it's uh, the, the way that just the economy has been incentivized in the last 20, 30 years will possibly be challenged to say, look, we, we can't rely on a narrow system with lots of bottlenecks in a crisis. Right. That's when mm -hmm. you need uh, you need you need the very best of systems. So. Um, so I think we'll be looking to protect as much capital as we can in the short term. And looking through this crisis, we'll be expecting inflation. We'll be expecting a re-onshoring, so to speak, of outsourced things. And we'll be looking for the opportunities that that will bring. Um, at, at the minute, to be honest, we might already have something that will, will benefit from that, which is our exposure to gold uh, through gold miners, which right. is the only money that can't be created out of thin air, because at the minute, that's what, what we're doing. We're creating money out of thin air to, mm -hmm. for the best of reasons, but nonetheless, that's what we're doing. So. Alistair McKinnon, thanks very much. Thank you. And now we speak to Ellen Wong. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Fraser. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, I'd love to start, Ellen, by asking you about your role at the, the US consulates in Edinburgh and, and do you like being based in Edinburgh and Scotland? Thanks, Fraser. So I am the principal officer at the U.S. Consulate General in Edinburgh. Um, and so I am the senior U.S. government representative um, for all of Scotland. And it has really been lovely to be based in Edinburgh. Um, it's a beautiful city. Um, and, you know, 
during this lockdown, I've, I've felt particularly fortunate because there are so many lovely places to walk, whether it's in the city, um, along residential streets, which are not now busy with cars, and you can really get a feel for the um, different neighborhoods um, or the many green spaces. I'm hoping that at some point I will get to see even more of Scotland in general, but obviously not now during the yeah, lockdown. Not had a chance to, to venture out much beyond Edinburgh before the, the lockdown then? Um, well, I've been here for almost a year and a half, so I actually have been to quite a few places around Scotland. Um, so we have responsibility for all of Scotland, so um, we engage with people and organizations throughout the country. Um, and so I've been to Aberdeen a number of times, Dumfries, Skye, Stonehaven, um, Aboyne, <laughs> any number of places <laughs> all, all over Scotland. But I, there are many places I haven't yet been, so hoping to have that opportunity in the next year. In terms of the coronavirus crisis, Ellen, how is that affecting you and your team and the way that you're working? Sure. Um, so... The U.S. Consulate General here has two main responsibilities. The first is providing U.S. government support to American citizens, and the second is developing and strengthening the many facets of the U.S.-Scotland relationship, whether it's business, security defense, culture and education, or people-to-people -people ties. Now, normally this would mean, on the American citizen side, providing a range of services to Americans from renewing passports or helping Americans register the birth of their children, um, mm -hmm. helping the relatives of American citizens who have died in Scotland, or, you know, facilitating Americans voting from overseas. Um, right. And on the U.S.-Scotland side, it included everything from, you know, um, reaching out to communities throughout Scotland to build the business and people-to-people -people ties, um, or... Um, engaging with students um, and talking to them about the U.S. system of government. Now, currently we're at critical staffing levels, which mean all, um, all of the staff of the consulate are teleworking the most, of the, most of the time. Mm -hmm. We are still providing emergency services to Americans that need passports. Um, so if they need a passport to travel back to the United States or in order to um, as a form of ID to present at a bank, for example. Um, we are going into the office to get those emergency passports to people. We are relatively fortunate that most of our staff are able to telework. So, you know, one of the other things that we're still doing is updating London and Washington, D.C. on the situation in Scotland. Um, so we're providing daily updates on the COVID-19 response here. Um, on the status of any U.S. citizens in Scotland if they're having problems, and also trying to see if there's best practices that we can be exchanging. We also are still quite interested in the political situation in Scotland and, and trying to understand you know, where, where the country will be moving towards mm, yes. after this. Um, so we're still trying to maintain contacts with the businesses and organizations that we have traditionally worked with. And are, over and above all that, is, are there any specific challenges that the crisis has, has caused for you and for, for U.S. citizens abroad? So we do have a, a large population of Americans that are resident here in Scotland, um, and they have generally not needed a great deal of assistance. Um, there's pretty clear guidance here on what they should do, and Scotland is their home. Um, and in contrast to some other places around the world, um, there are still commercial flights 
taking um, happening between the U.S. and U.K. So Americans are able to, if if they need to get back to to the U.S., take those commercial flights. Now some of them have been ca- um, are canceled, but they are able to work with um, the carriers to get home. So um, we have not had to repatriate. Um, Americans, like some of my colleagues in other countries have had to do. I think around over 60,000 Americans have been repatriated from around the world. Um, But there are people that, um, you know, there are things that people can't do, and it's not unique to American citizens. Um, I've had American citizens that have contacted us about um, they've had a child here, but they can't register the birth of the child, and so they can't get any documentation for the child. Now, they won't necessarily have to travel now, um, but it, it's still a, something that I think weighs on their minds. Um, mm-hmm. We also have we get a fair number of questions from both um, British and American citizens that are in each other's countries asking, okay, my visa or my right to remain expires on this date. Can I stay longer because there just aren't that many flights or the flights are not affordable right now? Um, so we've been um, providing some answers to those um, to people along those lines. Ellen, do you have any uh, specific messages to the, the wider Scottish business community? We're doing a lot of thinking and planning on what's going to happen as we emerge from this crisis. And we recognize that business will take some time to ramp up, but we're really also encouraged to see signs that the U.S.-U.K. Um, economic relationship is still very strong. Um, we saw that at the Aberdeen-based Wood Group just won a large U.S. wind farm contract. Um, and we were really excited to see that U.S. firms that are invested in Scotland are contributing to the COVID-19 response effort by producing ventilators. So kudos to Plexus and Raytheon for being part of the uh, larger effort. Are there any lessons that you've learned from the past, from the, the, the recent period or or even tips that you could share about the new way of working? Um, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, um, in this week, um, this month is actually Scottish American Heritage Month. And um, we were quite sad to um, not be able to hold our annual Tartan Day celebration, which we were planning to hold in Aberdeen. Mm. Um, but we were able to get in touch with many of the people that we normally work with, and they were able to record a Tartan Day message um, to the broader our broader Twitter community. And it seemed to, uh, people seemed to really enjoy that and, and, and like the bit of cheerfulness mm-hmm. <laughs> amidst this challenging time. And so I think one of the things is um, that we've learned is we, we do need to find some different ways of working in in an environment where we may have to be practicing social distancing for a longer period of time. Um, I think we're all learning about new technologies, what works well, what doesn't work well. And certainly we won't want to, you know, we have a U.S. government presence here in Scotland because the face-to-face engagements and interactions are so important. At the same time, we do need to see where we can try to use technology to continue to bring businesses and people together. So I think that's been one important lesson that we have learned. Um, for me personally, I think it's been it's important been important for me during this time to have a schedule uh, to set a schedule that includes some time every day to disconnect for myself. Right. Um, whether it's exercising, walking, meditating, and just completely 
the news can be so overwhelming. (laughs) And I think all of us have that sense that, oh, I should be doing something. I should be, I should be Mm. productive. I should be effective. Um, And this, you know, people keep on saying it's a, it's a a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you, um, in order to be effective for the long term, you do need to find time to disconnect, to turn off the phone, even as we're marveling at the um, great technologies we have now, to disconnect from the news and disconnect from the phone and recharge. And um, and so, you know, one of the things that we've implemented at the consulate is having one person that's kind of quasi on call on the weekends and letting other people completely turn off their phones. Right. Um, so right. I think that's been really important because we recognize that we do have, we are a resource. We ha- we do have to be here for American, especially Americans that may find themselves in trouble. Mm. But at the same time, having everybody kind of be on edge and be ready to be helping um, is not good for the longer um, longer term health of of our staff. So, and that's been something I think that's been really helpful. I think that's wonderful advice, Ellen. I'm sure that's going to strike a chord with a, a lot of people who are trying to juggle different demands in, in these uh, unusual, very unusual times. Thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating to, to have a chat with you. Excellent. Thank you so much. And finally, Adam Hunter. Hi, Adam. Can you start by telling us uh, the story of Flow today? What, how did you come up with the idea for the business and how have you developed it so far? So Flow Digital Pharmacy uh, was uh, founded uh, by a good friend of mine called Nadim Sarwar. Um, Nadim and I met uh, through something called the Saltire Foundation Fellowship Program, where we uh, did an executive MBA at Babson College uh, just outside Boston um, in America. And it was an entrepreneurial uh, thought and action about trying to identify future business leaders of Scotland, giving them the tools and the network to come back to Scotland and help grow uh, the Scottish economy and really during that um, period of time away um, we went to visit a design thinking company in Boston called IDEO who had been working with a relatively unknown pharmacy business at the time called PillPack Um, and what they were looking to do was redefine what pharmacy was, make pharmacy well designed, more efficient and more accessible to the patients um, in America. At that point, the business was really what I would call a whiteboard business. It's now grown significantly since then and was recently bought by Amazon, I think, for something around $750 million. So um, it really all started with that um, trip to to IDEO in Boston. Um, Then after when the program finished, Nadim uh, came back to Scotland like myself. Uh, I went to go and work uh, in the drinks industry for for a number of years. And Nadim decided, actually, there's a real opportunity here because the same pain points that American patients were facing in terms of accessing their medication was also... um, equivalent uh, pain points um, in the United Kingdom. So at first, when the dean was uh, looking at the business, he thought, right, I could just do a pill pack model here, um, do a, an online distribution company, get the medications delivered to your door via the Royal Mail, um, and there's a business there. However, once we actually started, uh, or once Nadim actually started talking to to patients, it was quite clear actually that um, the online pharmacy space and the reason why it hadn't had mass adoption was partly due to the uncertainty around delivery of medication through a public uh, mail network, be it Royal Mail or, or, or another one of the private couriers. So really, it, it turned out that actually what was needed in the United in the United Kingdom certainly was a different model, and the model that um, 
Nadim ultimately came up with and what became Flow Digital Pharmacy was a, a hyper-local infrastructure model where you would have a patient-facing app that was a, a management tool for your prescriptions that directly uh, tied in with the NHS spine. Um, and then from there, you could pick a delivery slot pick the prescriptions that you wanted delivered and sit back and wait for it to be delivered to your door at a time that suited you. Very much following what you already see in particularly in food, uh, probably the best example of that would be Deliveroo. We're almost similar to Deliveroo. We're the Deliveroo of pharmacy, but we also own the kitchen. So we're a standalone NHS pharmacy in our own right, but we also deliver the prescriptions uh, to people's uh, houses or offices uh, anywhere um, in in central London. So that's quite a unique uh, business offering. It's not something that's been done by an online pharmacy before. Um, Getting deliveries from pharmacy is not necessarily a new thing, but the ability to live track, to pick a time slot um, is actually quite quite unique and that four hour uh, delivery slot as well gives the patients the ultimate flexibility so they can get on with their day and not worry about uh, whether their medication is going to turn up at at the right time or not. So that's really one of the first parts of our our business and we operate across central London Um, and that was our main focus um, until recently with the uh, with the current um, medical and healthcare crisis that we're facing in 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 the light of uh, covid-19 uh, we decided to expand our services out to the whole of england so we now have two distinct uh, offerings to patients one is that this real time same day delivery service to patients in london but if you're outside of our delivery zone we also offer uh, 24 and 48 hour uh, courier delivery as well uh, via uh, private private networks uh, throughout throughout england so that- it seems like uh, you know with the benefit of of uh, hindsight, an extraordinarily extraordinarily prescient uh, move on, on your part to set the business up. And so you're in this unusual position now, Adam, of while so many other businesses are managing decline or having to kind of suspend normal trading, you're in this this process of expansion. So what has life been like in, in, in recent weeks with managing this sort of uh, growth in the business? It's been a very uh, it's been a very challenging, but also a very rewarding um, period. Fraser, I think for us, um, we launched the business live in a sort of stealth mode at the end of October in two thousand and nineteen. So we had a bit of time to really kind of understand our systems, our logistics partners, because we were doing something that hadn't really been done before, and using the NHS systems in a way that maybe not necessarily other pharmacies had. There was a lot of testing and learning to do. So thankfully, when um, when 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 the crisis really did come to the fore, you know, sort of uh, middle of March uh, last last month, um, we were in a far stronger position to you know deliver prescriptions at scale. Um, so, in in some ways, it was good that we had that period of time before before this uh, had a, before COVID nineteen occurred. Um, in terms of our own challenges, I, I think first and foremost, um, you know, it's been really great from from my perspective and from from the room the team. Is everyone's working in in disparate locations? So we have um, we have our back office staff primarily in Scotland with marketing, engineering, sales, operations. But then we actually have a pharmacy team who are working um, in in London. And I really have to take a moment here to say uh, a big thank you to our pharmacy team who are going into London every single day 
in one of the hot spots in the country in terms of the spread of COVID-19. And they haven't let that worry uh, diminish their professionalism and their dedication to ensure that our patients and anybody who wants to sign up get their medication when they want them, when they need it. And that's been a, a, a really uh, great thing to be a part of. And it's a privilege to work with with such hard staff. And I think from a staff point of view, um, I think everyone is very motivated because we see this very much as our, our service right now as a public service. It helps people maintain social distancing. It helps people self-isolate without having their worries of accessing their medication. Um, and it allows people to uh, really just be able to focus on other things and not worry about uh, medication and, and, and the access to it. And, and we've had some 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 wonderful stories in that you know we've had we had one uh, group of patients where the parents were were self isolating due to covid-19 symptoms but their younger child had um you know a, a chronic asthma problem um and they couldn't get their local pharmacy to deliver it was taking ages but they needed a, an asthma they signed up in the morning and by mid afternoon uh, their son had his his inhalers so you know it's little stories like that that keep the team very much motivated keeps myself motivated um the challenges i suppose are you know if it's always operations in our, in our business you know the tech in, in a way has been built so it can scale your trick then is to ensure that your frontline staff are taken care of uh, that you're minimizing spread of the risk of spread of the virus um, and ensuring that we can still uh, give excellent patient care at scale um, and that's always a challenge but it's something that we'll never compromise on regardless of we have you know 10 customers or 10,000 customers you know the, the patient experience is 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 vital um, and that's been allowing us to really focus on that as we've as, as we've grown Adam we've everyone has been adapting to a new way of living working uh, over the past particularly over the past three weeks in the in the UK are there any sort of personal lessons that you feel that you've learned or, or business lessons over that period i mean i think from a a business um per perspective i think um what's what's been really great for me to observe uh, across our team is um really seeing the the cultures and the values that that we hold as a as a business internally coming to the fore in terms of caring for our staff ensuring that they're supported in the in the best possible way that we can um and it's been great to see that everybody in the team uh, in every single part of the business stepping up and doing whatever is necessary to ensure that our patients receive the best possible care um, and that's really been a, a fantastic thing to to see, and, and, I, and I genuinely believe that you know once we get through this, and we will get through this as a, a as a society, and we will move into a new a new phase of, of of living. But I think the the experience that our team has had right now, and being so much very much in the trenches, as I like to as I like to call it, I think will have a, a, an incredible uh, long term uh, legacy in in our, in our culture and our togetherness in in achieving the mission that that we wanted to. Uh, to do with flow and that was really to give people access to medication when they when they want it where they need it and that becomes even more important during um covid19 um from a from a personal level i mean working from home i've had experience of working from home in the past in my previous job and i, and I always do a, a couple of days at home anyway even before covid19 with flow so for me it was not not hugely different um i think what i've certainly learned is that it's hard to be business as usual at the moment because we have so many other things going on in our lives. We've got our pressures of work. 
we have uh, pressures of not seeing our family and our, and our parents and, and we don't have the freedoms that, that, that we once had. And I think that's hard sometimes to, to, to manage. And there, I think for me, I've certainly had just had to accept that some days are going to be better than others. Um, and isn't, it's okay if you can't produce the same level of output that you maybe did before that because there, there are bigger challenges ahead. Um, I had a conversation with this about my mom with my mom recently and, and she's as always mothers always have always say the right things at the right time and, and, and she said to me, look Adam, just focus on the things that you can control because there are things that you can't control. Um, and I think that was very helpful to me and that that's now kind of changed my mindset. I can't control what happens at central government mm-hmm. decisions about testing, but I can control my own movements and I can control my own uh, ability to do things and try and make time for myself. And, and reading, I found, has been a, an absolute godsend. I've just, I, I try to just not in, uh, gorge on the news and, 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 and pick a book that removes me to a different world. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that very, very relaxing at times, especially during this uncertainty. Thanks very much for, for your time. The best of luck with Flow. I hope everything continues to, yeah. to grow and prosper. Thank you very much. And, and if anyone is interested in, in the service or learning more or would like to to, uh, to join the service, uh, you can go to www.weareflow.com and that's phlo.com and you'll have all the information will be there. But thank you, Fraser, and thank you to uh, Scottish Business Network for uh, their continued support before and during uh, this crisis. They've been invaluable and I'd highly recommend anybody um, who's looking to uh, broaden their networks and experience to to, uh, reach out to the team at SBN. That's great. Our pleasure. Thanks very much, Adam. Thank you, Fraser. I hope you enjoyed our 40th episode. There are plenty of great interviews in the archive and you can access the podcast on iTunes, Spotify and all the other in-demand podcast channels. Thanks for listening and stay safe. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.